Hey there, Rainbow Warriors. It's me, CJ, host of Beyond the Rainbow, True Crimes of the LGBT. I have sprinkled myself with protective glitter and jumped upon my trusty unicorn to bring stories of the LGBTQI. Whether you belong to this community or not, I welcome you to take a listen to Beyond the Rainbow. I have all sorts of crazy, chilling, and horrifying stories I tell. It's available almost everywhere you listen to podcasts. Still not sure I'm worth a listen? Then check out my website at beyondtherainbowpodcast.com. And remember, it's not a crime to be gay. Unless you're a murderer. Hey everyone, it's Sarah, one of the hosts of Coffee, Wine, and True Crime. Each week, Jordan and I sit down with drinks in our hand and break down the most wild, unheard of cases in each state. Check us out each Monday on wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at CWATC Podcast and on Instagram at Coffee, Wine, and True Crime Podcast. And if you really want to make our day, make sure to leave us a review. So grab a drink and join us on Monday. We'll see you there. You really hate that three clap, don't you? I don't like it. <laughs> your face. It's worse than hitting a nail. Oh, God, you fucking cracked your neck. Good. That's what you get for clapping. Make me want to throw up when you do that. I hate that sound. Wouldn't be the first time. I don't have any fun way to start us off this week. Throwing up? Yeah, that. I mean, that might do it. Hi, I'm Emily. I'm Joel. And this is Drink. Drunk. Dead. Dead. You're pretty good at that. I know. Mine's so cute. Dead. You call that cute? It's a cute little dead. It's cute death. It's like when you see the the Hello Kitty skulls with a little pink ribbon. It's cute death. Like sugar skulls? Yeah. Adorbs. Adorbs. Totes, totes my goats. Adorbs. Oh, God. What the fucking totes my goats? Why? Like, why did that ever come to be a thing? I don't know. Why did you ever come to be a thing? Because Just the happened. universe needed this. Okay, and the universe needed a goats? No, it did not need a goats. Sure did. <laughs> what are you drinking Just tonight, baby? Just because you write on rocks doesn't mean that the world today isn't relevant. What? I write on rocks? It's a caveman reference joke. Flew right over I'm your sorry, head. I'm sorry, my reptile brain can't comprehend. Yeah. Doesn't get a lot of the smart things that come out of my mouth. <laughs> yep, that's the problem. So what are you drinking? Drogs. Drogs. Which Beer. one? Beer. Is it an IPA? HIPAA. HIPAA? Hazy pale ale. Oh. Hippa. Hippa is a whole nother thing. Well, it depends what you're referencing. Hippa. We're referencing Hippa. No, we're not referencing Hippa. Okay, what is okay, so what's the flavor? (laughs) So what's the flavor? What kind? The haze charmer. 
Ah. What were the other ones that came in your case? Do you remember? Perpetual IPA and the field study. Oh, yeah, the field study. That one made me and happy. And the sunshine one I did not like. No? Why not? It made me sick. Really? Oh, is that why you were looking so poopy? I don't know. It's like pulling teeth tonight. <laughs> I don't have any teeth. You're toothless? Yeah. You a dragon? No, I'm not a dragon. Oh, okay. Do you think I'd be sitting here if I was a dragon? Maybe. I'm pretty fucking cool. Yeah, but I'd be a dragon. Yeah, but I'd still be pretty fucking be cool. Some, like, when you Shrek hang type out? shit. Wait, what? Some Shrek type shit. I'd be Shrek or you'd be donkey. Shrek? I'd be Donkey. And I'd be the dragon. Well, Donkey's fucking hysterical. I'm okay with that. And I didn't say you had the same personality. I'm just saying you're the donkey. I talk as much as donkey. Yeah, but a lot of things that come out of your mouth aren't. Shut up. Equal. <laughs> He's such a dick. You gonna ask me what I'm drinking? No. I didn't think so. What are you drinking? I am drinking another. Where does it come from? Pinot Grigio. Comes from the central coast of California. It's another You've California. Been on those Cali wines. Yeah. I, well, I. Decided I wanted to move away from Dark Horse for a little while. I figured everybody's tired of hearing me say I'm drinking Dark Horse again. So I tried something new. This one's called Sea Glass. That's the brand. Where's it from? Central Coast of California. What's it called? Sea Glass. And it comes from where? Central Coast of California. Look, it's got a pretty label. And of course, you know what was how it called? I'm obsessed with collecting beach glass these days. That's what it's called? That's a long name to fit on a bottle. I'm obsessed with collecting beach glass it is that's why they shortened it to sea glass but but you get the glass wasn't even in that original phrase it's beach glass well but it makes it's from california it makes more sense if they call it sea glass so they just took my original idea and they shortened it you said it was from california yes the northern coast no the central coast huh and it's called sea glass it is in fact it is Damn, I never thought something that cool would come out of Oregon. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know why that's so fucking funny. <laughs> okay. Yep, so that's what I'm drinking tonight is my Central Coast, California, Oregon, sea glass, beach glass. What year? Wine. 2018. Good job. Thank you. Damn. It was a very. The world was so different. Twenty. It was. It was a very different place. Just think when that wine was a baby, it was breathing different air. I wasn't even graduated yet. No. You me and either. I had just met. Yeah. Too bad they don't have an exact date. Well, it's probably fall. Well, unless they had a reserve or indoor grapes. Indoor grapes just sounds awful. You don't know. You ever had them? Probably. Do you ever taste a difference? Probably not. In wine? Yeah, you yeah. probably taste the difference. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It's called sugar. Uh-uh. The best kind of sugar comes from the right kind of heat in the right kind of soil. So that means that the sun has to hit it just right at the perfect time of year, and it has to be pulling up the right shit from the soil to make it just so good. That's why France makes such good wines, and that is why, like, Napa Valley area 
of California makes such good wines because their soil and their conditions are almost just like France. That's where sea glass is from. Central Coast. Yeah, you're right. California. California. I don't know where Napa Valley is. I'll be fair. You'll be fair. I'll be fair. Honest. (laughs) Shut up. Can we move on with this thing already? Now that we've thoroughly discussed what we're fucking drinking today. (laughs) Mine's from Germany. Oh, that's very interesting. Can I tell you about our spotlight today? Oh, you're still talking. Okay. If you would let me continue. I didn't say anything. You're such a pain in the ass. I'm sitting here looking at you. So, this week's spotlight, uh, I wanted to do something focusing on Native Americans, but there are so many organizations. I had a really hard time narrowing it down, so I picked one that kind of covers a broad area of focus with regards to Native Americans. So the one that I chose was the Native American Rights Fund, which was founded in 1970. It's the oldest and largest nonprofit legal organization that asserts and defends the rights of Indian tribes, organizations, and individuals nationwide. They focus on five areas of concern, which are preserving tribal existence, protecting tribal natural resources, promoting Native American human rights, holding governments accountable to Native Americans, and developing Indian law and education, or I'm sorry, and educating the public about Indian rights laws and issues. And it, I'm pulling the word Indian from their website. It's not my wording. It's what they're using. It's part of how they speak about it. So nobody come at me for being non-PC here. So tribal sovereignty. Do you know what tribal sovereignty? 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 I can't say it with wine. Sovereignty. Do you know what it is? Sovereignty. Sovereign. Sovereignty. Yes. That. <laughs> I can't believe it took me like eight times to get there. Wow. And you're getting a master's. <laughs> Do you know what it is? Is it like exemption from U.S. law or something? Uh, yeah, kind of. So it's the recognition that native tribes existed and governed themselves long before the rest of the world kind of moved in and took over. So NARF works to help tribes exercise that sovereignty and jurisdiction. So what they do is they help draft legislation, legal documents, um, and they represent the tribes in court cases. Because of the history of the way in which this country treated the indigenous people, Many tribes either have no land or they're left with reservations. We all, we've all heard of reservations. The reservations were set up to protect the rights to the land, hunting, fishing, water resources, and the environmental concerns, the ability to gather and resource rights. So it's, it was set up to protect all of this for the Native Americans after we came in and we took everything away, right? But as we're all pretty well aware the government has taken back portions of the land and resources. Uh, a big one would be the uh, it the Dakota Access Pipeline. What's the, what's the big access pipeline? Mm. I, it was the one that was all over the news a few years ago. It's still a problem. But that's an, just a, one instance of 
the government coming in and taking back that land or overriding land that they said, you have the legal right, you are your own nation, we don't have any right to come in here on your stomping grounds, and yet we do. So the NARF fights to protect tribal ownership, they fight to protect boundary access and control the land. And in their efforts to promote Native American human rights, um, which is another big issue that they focus on, they put a lot of energy uh, on bringing attention to issues like education, uh, the Indian Child Welfare Act, voting rights, religious freedom, repatriation, and protection of sacred places. And then, of course, a huge amount of their energy goes simply into legal matters. The organization fights for tribes to receive compensation for the land and the resources that were taken from them and recognition of the historical and contemporary cases of these actions, again, like that pipeline. So recognition of, hey, the government fucked up. They're going back on their word. We're supposed to be our own, basically our own nation, that you don't have a right to touch this land. So they, they fight for them. They also do a lot to develop tribal law and then federal laws and regulations. So they work with the national government and they work with various tribes. I think they're, what, 300 tribes or something like that. But while at the same time, they're also educating both the tribes and the general public on the issues of these tribal laws and federal laws and regulations. So they really, they put a lot of work into trying to bring attention to things that are really, really often overlooked by most of the American public. It's pretty cool. They, they, part of their education, they actually founded the National Indian Law Library. And that was for their attorneys, the NARF attorneys, to be able to use for research. And they, they specially train attorneys who will work for or with the tribes. So they have, they take second year law students and they bring them in under this program and they train them on these laws so that they are just like the best suited people to fight for Native Americans, which I think is pretty freaking awesome. So they go out and they, they find these second year law students and they really groom them to be the absolute best advocates that they can for the Native Americans. Just, I think that's awesome. There was a whole lot more on their website, but I really, this was me trying to wean it down to kind of like the major things that they hit on, but they do a whole lot. So please go check out the Native American Rights Fund. It is at narf.org. You can donate there. You can read their publications or you can learn how you can help support the organization. So go check it out. I have one fun fact for you today. I decided. Solo uno mas. Solo uno mas. Just one more. I wanted to keep it short and sweet for you this week, and I found... Will you show me a picture of myself? While that is humorous, it's not going to go over so well on audio. That's all right. Just let them imagine. <laughs> I found one fun fact that just cracked me the fuck up, and I wanted to share it with the world. I think the world needs to know this fun fact. So, okay. Are you ready for okay. it? Okay. Wait. Okay, I'm ready for it. You sure? Do you need to rethink Wait. that? I thought so. Dolly Parton once entered a celebrity lookalike contest without revealing her true identity. This was at a club in San Francisco. 
but no one paid any attention to her because apparently they all felt that she was too short to make a convincing dolly. So she ended up losing to a drag queen. I thought that was fucking funny. <laughs> it was funny. There's, I've heard other stories that, like, Charlie Chaplin. Yep, he, he was another one. He was, like, he didn't even make top ten or something like that. I think Johnny Depp entered a Jack Sparrow lookalike contest once, and he didn't win either. It's so funny when the celebrities go in and they don't win their own lookalike contest, because you're like, clearly you don't know what this person looks right. like. You're too short to be a convincing dolly. Are you fucking kidding? I am the exact height of Dolly. <laughs> Dolly is a teeny tiny diminutive figure, but she's just this, per- this ridiculously massive personality. And I think if you saw those Teddies. assets. Just call it what it is. <laughs> you would be able to recognize her. So that's my fun fact for mm-hmm. you this week. Thank you. My one and only fun fact. No squirrel spies this week. Damn. I know, aren't you disappointed? You know they're up to new shit every single week, though. The squirrel spies? What did I see? I saw something else about squirrels recently that made me... I can't remember what it was, but it was so funny. I'll have to find it again. Maybe I'll use it for my fun fact next week. More squirrel shit. Hilarious. Hilarious. I need more wine. With my screw top wine here. Efficient. All right. So... We've had our drinks. You're drunk. I'm not drunk. You're drunk. No, I'm not even hardly buzzed. I'm just You're talking about titties and shit. I'm just a dork. You're already almost done with that bottle. I've been doing it for two hours and I'm not even almost done. You're I'm almost barely done a third with the bottle. Away. Don't let her fool you. Whatever. Now it's time. Certified drunkard. For the dead. I don't like you. Alright, I'm just gonna shut my computer down. Thanks for coming. Bye, guys. Bye. Hope you enjoyed it. I think you go first. The beard goes first this week. Because I, I went. Yeah, you didn't fucking write that on the board. How am I supposed to we know? We don't have the board this week. Leave me alone. You're all like, do you use the board? And I'm all like, I rely on the board. You're all like, fuck you. You're I'm so only doing it for shit. myself because I'm Emily. And that's so, how that went. What's our topic this week? Mr. Pissy Pants. Geckos. Geckos? Shit, I definitely researched the wrong damn thing. That's all right. I can fill up our hour. Paranormal geckos. That's a new one. I've never heard of that one. Might have Is to add it that geckos to that change color? Chameleons. Never mind. I did chameleons. Geckos just do car insurance. So this week we decided to cover... You asked me the question. Well, you didn't want to answer, apparently. All right, you shush your face. Shush your face. Answer. Your face needs to shush. Before I was so rudely interrupted, I was going to say... What were you going to tell us? Before I was so rudely interrupted, I was going to say... I'm interested. Tell me. Before I was so rudely followed up, I was going to say... <laughs> two weeks ago, we did haunted movies. And this week, we are doing... The stories behind the movies. We're doing getting down to the bread and butter. So these are the stories that inspired The Exorcist and Poltergeist. So this is the exorcism of Ronald Edwin Hunkler. Hunkler? Hunk and then E-L-E-R. Hunkler. You know, the funny thing is I've heard this story before, but I didn't remember that last name. Hunkler. So many of the claims and evidence differ from one another. 
in regard to the full story of the story behind the exorcism of Ronald Honkler. There were private investigators who had set out to receive the true details of the life of the Hunker family. Hunkler. Hunker. I'm going to mess that up. <laughs> a diary with accounts from Father Raymond J. Bishop, which was made public many years later, holds breathtaking details into the demonic possession of the little boy. Wait, his name was Father Bishop? Father Raymond J. Bishop. Yeah, but so it's Father Bishop. Yes. Wouldn't that be kind of confusing? Because aren't there bishops and their fathers? Yeah. So Father Bishop? Maybe Are you one Father Bishop or Bishop Father? Bishop, <clears throat> comma, Father. <laughs> oh my God, that was so nasty. That was impressive. Residing at 3807 40th Avenue in Cottage City, Maryland, the Hunkler family lived from lived there from 1939 until they sold the house in 1958. Born June 1st of 1935 to a mother with evangelical Lutheran faith and a father who was a non-practicing Catholic. His grandmother also lived in the home who was also a non-practicing Catholic. What? They lived there until 1958? Yeah. 1958 is the year that all of my stuff took place. Maybe it travel. But it's not like it ended when they moved, though. Oh, it didn't? No, not in 58. Oh. Ronald's aunt, sometimes called Harriet, but is referred to as Aunt Tilly in the priest's diary, had a deep interest in spiritualism, and at one point in his youth, in Ronald's youth, uh, introduced him to the Ouija board. Side note, I don't understand how O-U-I-J-A is pronounced Ouija. Some people say Ouija. Either way. It's Ouija. There's there's a story behind it, though. If you look up the history of the Ouija board, which we'll do an episode, it told you how to spell it. Yep. So we'll do a, a story about Ouija boards. We've got it on the list. But yes, there's a history behind why it's called that. Sounds like a stupid name to me. Just saying. Well, say that to the spirits who named it. Spirits who named it? It's a fucking stupid name, okay? Don't fucking do that. They're going to come after us. I already had my ass grabbed. Call it the Zozo board. So his aunt passed away in late January of 1949, when Ronald would have been 14. Remember that age. One, four. One plus four, five. One minus four, three. Ringing any bells? One minus four is three. Ringing any bells? You trying to say that I'm evil because I'm 35? No. Math. Science, bitch. Mind blown. Right? There was no relation to that number or my comment in any way, but I still blew your mind, didn't I? Hold on, one times four? Go ahead. One times four? Uh Uh-huh. Four? Divided by four. (gasps) What? What about one divided by four? One-fourth. You see where I'm going with this? No, I don't. (laughs) Me either. (laughs) I have no idea what the fuck you're trying to do right now. Confuse you. You're doing a damn good job of that. Thank you. So many locals and childhood friends of Ronald 
had confirmed his identity and gave interesting details into the life of Ronald before the exorcism. Only referred to as J.C., a neighborhood friend, was interviewed by an investigator, and this is what he says. No, I don't think he was ever possessed. I think it was psychological. As far as any real possession or anything like that, I don't think so. There are some interesting psychological aspects to it. They were German Lutherans, and he was an only child, and I think the grandmother is actually the central figure. She played a very influential role in all of this. He had this old world religion superstition, and the mother got caught up in it, and father just kind of stayed in the background. I think he could have seen what was going on, which is why he never mentioned. Or why he is never mentioned. The true story is much more intriguing from a psychological point of view. The basis of the real thing could be a damn good story, no doubt about it in my mind. The rest of it can run a parallel. You had these two mischief makers that had a strong tendency to take advantage of people who were weaker than themselves. They were a pair of of conifers, and they had their act down. Wait, wait, a pair of conifers? Conifers. What? C-O-N-N-I-V-E-R-S. Oh, I don't know what that is. But Con I, it, artists and deceivers. I oh, you mean connivers? Conivers. <laughs> a conifer is like an evergreen. There's an F in that word. Yeah, but that's what it sounds like you're saying. You mean connivers. No, it's not. There's no A or a T. Or a P, for that matter. Mm-hmm. You're right. There is no A or T or P. You are correct. In your face. Shush. <laughs> no idea what the fuck you were saying. In pairs like that, they compete with each other and they don't get along well. And they have to keep doing something to retain the relationship. And all of the time, this is mischief in one form or another. They were trying to outdo each other. Intense. JC's brother who was the best friend of Ronald, describes I'm buying the marriage in a... Can you try that again? The the whole thing. Can you try it, but maybe more English? I realize that you're struggling. Fuck. Do you want some water? Fuck. The word was in. Oh, that is a tough word. I'll give you that. So JC's brother, who was the best friend of Ronald, describes him as being submerged in a home with a frantically, with a fanatically religious mother and grandmother that embraced spiritualism. Hunkler was not liked by his classmates and often threw tantrums. He showed violent tendencies towards animals and other people around him. JC summed up Ronald's personality by saying... People ask what he was like. I can tell you that he was never what you would call a normal child. He was an only child and kind of spoiled, and he was a mean bastard. We were together all the time, and we used to fight all the time. We've all known that kid. Yeah. The one that's a spoiled little shit that's just an asshole 24-7. And the devil is like, hee-hee, perfect. He's my spirit animal on earth. If the devil had a spirit animal. I think he is his own spirit animal. No, 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 no. You can't do that. 
Yes, you can. No, no, no. If you're a fucking demonic being, why not? I don't like that. I want. I want. Of course, the de- you don't like it. Do you think God is a spiritual animal? God has a spirit. Yes, God's spirit animal is the cat. No. Yes. That's just fucking no, no. bullshit. No, but- no, 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 no. Me. Hear me out. I refuse. They can be super caring, and they can pay a whole shit ton of attention to you, and then they'll just fuck off for however long and not give a crap what the fuck is going on, and they'll leave you to your own devices and just kind of sit there and watch as you burn your whole fucking house down. It's what cats do. No. Yeah. Cats shit in and a box. And then they come in and they play make with you stuff. you clean it. Yes, God. Hop in the fucking thing after you clean it. Take a shit, make you smell it while you're still cleaning the other one. God. Run upstairs, rip apart the blinds, eat all the food again, fucking rip up the carpet, then come snuggle on you, then come fart on you, uh-huh. then request catnip 24-7, then complain when you don't get more food because they got the munchies, then go upstairs and rip the curtains up there, then go into the child's room and fart on them, which we don't mind, and then they come into our room and they sleep on us and wake us up. How is that not God? Because God don't do that shit. God bro. does all that God shit, don't man. Do that shit, bro. God's like God. Hey, no, homie. God don't do that shit. All right. God shits Step up. up. All the time. You don't even read the Bible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, you don't. The Bible. <laughs> to be fair, I am atheist, but I would have to say an outsider's point of view would say that. So you can't even make a statement on. This. Um, excuse me. I grew up in a very religious household. Okay, you never practiced. I did. Mm-hmm. I did until I became an adult. You don't fucking know. I do know. You've told me the stories. You ever? You always refused. No. Yes. Where are you coming up with this? From your own mouth. No. I was a hardcore believer up until I was in my 20s. And then I became my own person and didn't allow brainwashing to happen anymore. And I went out and thought for myself. So you were an LSD-taking evangelical? Not in the mid Oh, yeah, in my teens. Not an evangelical, but yeah. Uh-huh. So then you were telling me lies in the past. No, your memory sucks. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. I've taken memory, memory pills. Memory, memory pills? Yeah. Are they the pills it's to remember the, your memory pills? It's the two-time memory dose. Oh, okay. Filled so where the fuck were you in this story? Because I don't even remember I where you left I remember exactly off. before you cut me off. That's cool. So the same time Cat his God. auntie passed away, which was in 1949, he was removed um, in the middle of his eighth grade year. J.C. recalls Hunkler's last day in class. We were in a class together at Bladensburg Junior High. He was sitting in a chair, and it was one of those deals with one arm attached, and it looked like he was just shaking the desk. The desk was shaking and vibrating extremely fast, and I remember the teacher yelling at him to stop it, and I remember he kind of yelled, I'm not doing it. They took him out of class, and that was the last I ever saw of him in school. The desks certainly did not move around the room like that book, Possessed, said. It was just shaking. I don't know if he was doing it or what was doing it, because I just can't clear it in my mind. Along with the odd general behaviors of Ronald, he would intentionally put others in harm's way. It's a pretty fucked up story, by the way. A stray dog who would run around the neighborhood became Ronald's best friend. It was a half-red Cocker Spaniel. 
No one knew who owned it, but Ronald took it in, feeding it and bringing him into the house. The dog would bite anyone in sight, but he loved to be around Ronald. JC recounts a day that Ronald invited him over, rung him on the telly, told him to come over. JC was nervous as he did not trust his intentions because he was, quote, sneaky and a real mean little bastard. As he likes JC- to reiterate that, doesn't he? Yeah, right. As JC was walking up to the house, he could see Ronald looking at him from the basement window. When he walked into That's the house. That's not creepy as fuck. Yeah, right? That's the moment where you're walking up the sidewalk and you, your foot is like hanging out in front of you and you just about face. You do that 180 turn on the one foot <laughs> with the legs still sticking out. All right, bro, I'll cut you in nope, school when there's witnesses. Off the other direction. <laughs> yep. Would not see me walking in there. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. Or you can do the Scooby Doo air run. You do that Scooby Doo noise like the. Yep, where they're just running in the middle yeah. of the air. Yep. You see that kid just peeking over the edge of that window, staring yeah, right. at you like, fuck, no, I'm not going in that house. <laughs> I don't know why this guy continued to be friends with him. It never seemed like he doesn't even Ronald like him. was a, a good friend to him, right? So yeah, he saw him staring at him from the basement window. When he walked into the house, he heard the back door slam, and he knew right away what was going on. JC started to run because Ronald had sicked the dog on him. What a shithead. Yeah. Right? Just called this dude over to let this probably dog possessed dog. Attack him. Yeah. What a fucking dick. So when he got back to the house, to his own house, he got a call from Ronald, who was just laughing hysterically. And apparently Ronald had done this to other kids before. This kid sounds like a fucking sociopath. Right. He sounds like the kind of kid that goes on to be a, become a serial murderer. Serial killer? Yes, that wine. Serial murderer works, too. It's the same Sure, thing. it does. So, with many, with many reports, Father Edward Albert Hughes, quite a mouthful, is believed to be the first priest to attempt an exorcism on the boy. After an initial visit with Ronald, Hughes sent him to Georgetown University Hospital, where three days of exorcisms were performed, and Hughes was injured in the process. They did this at a hospital? At a hospital. That's interesting. I think it was a religious hospital. Georgetown? Yeah. I mean, back in 1949, everybody was like, God! God! How'd that go again? You sound like a fucking seagull. I know. So, there was an investigator that suggested that there is no evidence of Hughes visiting the Hunkler home or the admittance of Ronald to University Hospital, nor any evidence of an attack on the pastor. Rather, he believes Miss Hunkler took Ronald to a single visit in February of 1949 uh, with... Reverend Hughes, or Father Hughes, at St. James Church. An attack on the pastor? Where's this coming from? Is this stuff that was put in the book or the movie or something? It's just different accounts of everything. Okay. Like, some stuff that... So, like, the family never said anything, right? But stories that circulated, um, and then stuff that came out from the book and the movie. But a lot of it was... Just let me keep going. 
Father William Sauders, Sauders, um, writing for the Catholic Herald in 1998, asserts strongly that the exorcism did occur at the University Hospital by Father Hughes. Hughes' assistant pastor, Frank Bobber, Bober, Bobber, Bobber, confirmed that it was most likely Miss Hughes who initiated the interest in the help of the clergy. He says Hughes never went to the Hunkler home, but the mother brought the boy to the rectory. Bobert. That's, that's not really that uncommon, though, for parents to... I mean, you're the one that's living with it. You're going to be the one that initiates that contact. Right. Somebody has to start it somewhere. It's not like the church just fucking knows. Maybe they do. They just wait, though. Because then that would spill the beans. Bobber stated Father Hughes' description of Ronald as having a dark stare, almost as if there was nothing behind the eyes. He also claims that Hughes did indeed experience an unseen force pressing him against the wall. So this was 50 years almost later. That he's saying it? That he's, that this, yeah, the the assistant, Frank Bobber, Bober, wrote this and released it to the public. Okay, but even if it was 50 years later, when you experience something, like the stuff that I've experienced, I remember it very clearly. Because it sticks out in your mind as something that's just so out of the norm. So your brain just holds on to that memory. And it's crystal clear. It's like getting in a car accident. I remember the one car accident I was in perfectly. Uh-huh. So I'm I, saying 50 years later, just because it was 50 years later, doesn't mean he can't remember what happened that day. I'm not saying that. Okay. Well, you make a point. Like, it was 50 years later. I'm just saying 50 years later, after the exorcism, is when this guy said this. this forward. Yeah. Father Walter Holleran was called in by Father William Bowdern to assist in an exorcism. When asked if Ronald was possessed, Holleran says, I can't go on record. I never made an absolute statement about the things because I didn't feel I was qualified. I hadn't studied the phenomena and that sort of thing. All I did was report the things that I saw and whether I could make a statement one way or another wouldn't make any difference. When questioned about the reports of the boy speaking other languages, Holleran stated, just Latin. I think he mimicked us. Holleran said that there were no demonic changes in the boy's voice, and that when the boy struck him, it wasn't with extraordinary strength. Hmm. There was also, like, he got scratched. This guy um, said it didn't ever seem to spell anything or draw anything. It was kind of just... Like, he did see marks on the boy's body, but it was nothing, like, tangible. Or it didn't it didn't spell anything or draw anything. So I found kind of a breakdown of the events. January 15th of 1949. There was a dripping noise that was heard in his grandmother's bedroom by the boy and his grandmother. There was a picture of Christ on the wall which shook, and scratching noises were heard under the floorboards. Scratching was heard every night from 7 p.m. until midnight for about 10 days, and this was attributed to a rodent at the time. And these are all reports from the pastor's diary, by the way. January 26th of 1949, Aunt Tilly, or Harriet, 
dies of multiple sclerosis in St. Louis. Waves of air reportedly strike the grandmother. Three knocks are heard on the floor. Miss Hunkler asks, if you are Harriet, tell me positively by knocking four times. And of course, four knocks were heard. And there was also scratching on Ronald's mattress. Two days later, January 28th, after three days of silence, nighttime squeaking shoes, as they describe it, on the Hunkler's bed are heard for six nights. Squeaking shoes on the bed? Yeah. That's unusual. Fast forward, February 17th, Hunkler spends the night with Lutheran, Lutheran minister Schulz. Totally normal. Everybody spends the night with a loser minister at some point, right? He was observing. Haven't you spent the night with a loser minister? I know I have. Many. Reportedly, Shules heard scratching noises and witnessed bed vibrations, a chair in which Hunkler sat tipping over, and the movements of a pallet of blankets. A pallet of blankets? Yeah. Everybody has one of those sitting around. Right. We've got our pallet of blankets just chilling down in the basement. Where else would you put it? Exactly. You got to put it, like, wrap it up with the zip ties, stick it in the corner, pallet of blankets. Exactly. Jules has family tank Hunkler to Mental Hygiene Clinic of the University of Maryland for testing. After two rounds of testing, nothing abnormal was discovered. Jules also contacted J.B. Ryan, the founder of the parapsychology laboratory at Duke University. Ryan and his wife, Louisa, Louisa, Ryan, drove up from North Carolina to evaluate the boy but saw no activity. February 26th, there were scratches and markings that appeared on the boy's body for four consecutive nights. February. That, that does stick out as unusual. I mean, if they're observing him, right? And he has all these markings. That is weird. February 27th, words began to appear on the boy's body and seemed to be scratched by claws. So this is where the discrepancy is. Like, this is all following the priest's diary. But the assistant said that it wasn't. It was just scratches, but nothing that appeared. Nothing that spelled anything. Father Hughes of St. James Catholic Church in Mount Rainier is called upon to review the case. Hughes suggested the family use blessed candles, holy water, water, and special prayers. And Hughes reportedly witnessed unassisted movements of a telephone and other objects in his office. Hunkler make obscene and blasphemous... Blasphemous... Yes, remarks at him in a strange and diabolical voice. And the room became unexplainably cold. Father Hughes was convinced that Hunkler was possessed and requested Cardinal Patrick A. O'Boyle to authorize exorcism. From February 28th until the 3rd of March, Ronald um, is admitted to Georgetown University Hospital. This is the point that the alleged first exorcism took place. His mother had seen the word 
named Lewis scratched on his back, on Ronald's back. When the boy is asked if the word Lewis means St. Louis, the word yes starts to appear on his body. So it's like almost that this thing is using his his body as a canvas. To send messages, yeah. The family departs for Normandy, Missouri, which is near St. Louis, to stay at home, at the home of an, of, um, an aunt. March 8th, the shaking of the mattress and scratching resumed at, at the aunt's home in Normandy. Day later, Father Raymond J. Bishop of St. Louis University sees Hunkler for the first time. Bishop witnesses the scratching of the boy's body as well as the motion of the mattress. Father William Bowdern of St. Francis Xavier Church asked to meet Ronald. Father Bowden read the Novena Prayer of St. Francis Xavier, blessed the boy with a relic, and placed a crucifix under his pillow. After everyone has left the room, a loud noise was heard, and reportedly a large bookcase moved about. A bench was turned over, and the crucifix had been moved to the edge of the bed. And the mattress that day was also reported to shake. Archbishop Joseph E. Ritter had gave Father Bowdern permission to begin uh, the formal rite of exorcism. This was March 16th of 1949. The first of the second series of exorcisms is performed at the Normandy, Missouri home. A number of priests were in attendance, including Bowdern, who was a chief exorcist, Reverend Walter Holleran, who was an assistant exorcist, Father Lawrence Kenny, and Father Charles O'Hare of Marquette University. So during the exorcism, Ronald becomes violent, spits at the priest, and howls and growls. The bed shakes, and allegedly words such as Satan and Devil appear on his chest as scratches. Proving too violent for the exorcisms to be performed in the home, the exorcisms were moved to the rectory at St. Francis Xavier Church. When this proves to be too dangerous, Ronald is transferred to the Alexian Brothers Hospital and placed in the psychiatric ward. The exorcisms continued at the hospital. April 1st of 1949, uh, Ronald is baptized, Catholic. Three days later, in a brief trip back to Maryland by train, Ronald becomes violent and attacks Father Bowdern, kicking him in the testes. Ooh. Right? Dirty. Nutshot, man. That sucks. April 9th, Ronald is returned to St. Louis and briefly stays at a Jesuit retreat along the Mississippi near St. Louis. Ronald attempts to commit suicide by throwing himself over the bluff into the river, but is prevented by doing so from hollering. That's really sad. He's only 14, right? Yeah. That's sad. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't really be any different going through that at any age, though. No, but it's it's always sad when you hear that a child has it so bad that they're considering ending their own lives. Yeah. So Ronald is then returned to the Alexian Brothers Hospital and placed in the psychiatric ward where he is restrained. Communion was refused for him. And then Easter of eight or 
Easter of 1949, so April 18th, was the final exorcism, which was this successful exorcism, hence the final one. Mm -hmm. So 11 p.m. on April 18th of 1949, the day of the final exorcism, while wearing saints' medals and holding a crucifix, Ronald is reported screaming, Satan, Satan, I am Saint Michael. I command you, Satan, and the other evil spirits to leave this body. In the name of Dominus, immediately. Now, now, now. And after a final spasm, he fell quiet and proclaimed that he is gone. So he was re-enrolled in late 1949 to finish eighth grade. And <laughs> As everybody was like, I am not sitting next to that kid. Yeah, right. So from 1950 to 54, Ronald attended Bladensburg Junior High School in Washington, D.C. So he moved. Well, the family moved. Some believe that he went on to work for NASA and had three children. At the time, he claimed to have no knowledge of the possession and asked that the father and other authors to keep his identity a secret. It wasn't until many years later that his identity had become known publicly. It wasn't until this private investigator really started digging into it and found different things and interviewing locals and stuff. Mm -hmm. so. In 1949, Brother Rector Cornelius sealed the fifth floor corridor that the exorcism was reported to have taken place after having the statue of St. Michael removed. Also locked away was a copy of the diary containing the details of the exorcism and a note from Cornelius which was dated April 29, 1949. It wasn't until October 1978 when workmen were clearing out a wing in Alexian Brothers Hospital in St. Louis where they allegedly found their official record of events over the four nights of the exorcism in 1949. That must have been fucking wicked to find that. I'd be running out of there. Yeah, you start reading through that and you're like, no. Right. That's why I don't read, so I don't get myself into shitty situations. <sighs> Every time I hear the name Cornelius, it makes me think of the way Lilu Dallas from The Fifth Element says it. Cornelius. 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 It's a good way to say it. Shall we take a commercial break? Oh, that was your story? Yep. Thank you very much for your story. Yes, let's take a commercial break. Sponsored by water. Ah, tastes like water. So I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the collaborations that we have. We recently did a collaboration with apocalypse in review and that was so much fun but unfortunately they for some reason half the audio didn't record so we have to redo that one which kind of stinks because it was so fucking golden the first time i hope it's really good the second time around i just did an interview today with what cast i did an interview with matt over there talking about some of my paranormal experiences and that was a lot of fun he was super cool i really liked him i could i could do more work with them they're pretty chill. Well, really him, because I don't, I don't know his co-host. <laughs> his co-host was in Cyprus and couldn't make it, so I don't know. Mm -hmm. Then we have this weekend, I think I'm recording with Ashley from Studying Scarlet Podcast. 
and Chris from State of Fear. So we've got two crossover episodes there. And then coming up in a couple of weeks, I'll be recording with Lindsay from Ye Old Crime. So these are all names that you guys probably have heard me talk about a few times before because they're podcasts that I really love and I, I enjoy them quite a bit and very excited about getting to work with with all these podcasts and some of my friends, my podcast buddies. <laughs> Geek out. Yeah. I'm uh-huh. I'm nerding a little bit over it. A little bit. Yep. And I have some more collaborations that I'm working on but haven't got dates nailed down for yet. But hopefully we should have some cool stuff coming out for you pretty soon. I know with Studying Scarlet, I'm doing an exorcism. An exorcism I've never heard of before, so that's going to be cool. With State of Fear with Chris, I'm going to be doing uh, The Rain Man from Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, which is a story I remember from years ago, and I've always wanted to find this story again, and Chris found it and sent it to me. I was so excited. So I'm going to be doing that paranormal story and a true crime with him. And then with Lindsay from Ye Old, I'm going to be doing a cult, which I'm very excited about. I have a couple of cults. I think I know which one I'm going with, but I'm not going to spoil it. I don't have my own cult anymore. Not these days. I'm way too busy for that. Mm -hmm. I don't have time for that shit, and I don't have an assistant, so. Sure you are. It is not a good cult unless the leader has an assistant, and I don't have an assistant, so. No. (laughs) Is that just your argument? A cult is based upon one individual leading the pack. Yeah, he delegates that shit. He or she. But typically he. You know, if I was the first she, I wouldn't mind it, but, you know. You sexist bastard. Oh, I'm the sexist one. Yeah. Everybody's like, let's follow the dude. Forget the women. They're not good leaders. I'm the sexist one. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Right-wing American bastard. You mad I just blew I your true colors? That. Yes, my true colors are so red. 100%. I mean, technically they are. I bleed red. You do? That's true. You don't bleed red and white? If I bled white, that would be a little bit worrisome. Well, I mean, you do, but you just don't see it. Right. No, no, no. Plasma's kind of like a yellow, so. Your white blood cells? You don't, yeah, no. Mm -mm. You don't see it, right, but technically you do. Your white blood cells are only coming out when you're fighting shit. Okay, fighting They're kind of hanging out there, but. They're not. If you're bleeding, there's going to be white blood cells. Anyway, that's what they do. You can tell I know very little about cellular biology. Have you ever watched Magic School Bus? (laughs) I can get with the program. What was the theme song? Hop on the Magic School Bus. It's been so long. I don't know. Jinx. I just remember the anus. That would be the. One, one thing that you took away from that. There was I'd, the one episode when they were going through like the colon or something. And there was a butthole. That's pretty much what the boys took away from Captain Underpants today was Uranus. That's funny. That is funny. But it's they funny didn't understand everybody. why until we explained it. And then they thought it was fucking hysterical. That was comedy. 
comedy. Okay. Let me tell you my story. That wasn't your story. That was not my story. Shit. That is not what inspired Poltergeist, the hit film. Are you ready for this? I guess so. Well, buckle up, buttercup. This is a ride. This is just a dining room bench. How am I supposed... (sighs) Go get a belt. Go get a belt and buckle yourself the fuck up, man. This Why is do I ride. have to do it? Because I'm telling the damn story. Okay, so you should be concerned about the rider's safety. I'm not. You just told me I'm to buckle bitch. up, so obviously you are. I am 100% that bitch. <laughs> Shall I give you my story about Popper the Poltergeist? We just got the DNA test results. Turns out you are not that bitch. <laughs> Thank you, Maury. So my sources for this story were the Huffington Post, the Long Island Pulse, Paranormally Correct, and American Hauntings. So the film Poltergeist, which was my choice for the cursed film episode, is loosely based on a true story of an American haunting that began back in 1958. (gasps) I know. Gasp. When? You'll see. Just wait. What's the specific date? Hang on. I'll get there. I have like two more bullet points and I get to the fucking exact date. So hang on a second. The Herman family lived in a recently constructed home in a Long Island suburb that was seven miles from the home that inspired Amityville Horror. Which is another movie that you have not seen, which is too bad. I need to educate you on this shit. Sounds like, oh. It's a scary film. (sighs) Based on a really corny fucking, it's not even a, um, why can't I remember it now? All I'm remembering is my mom's accounts of watching it at a movie theater and everybody was throwing like steak up on the fucking thing. I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. It'll come to me later. Okay. So first, let me tell you about the family. Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, that's not anywhere close to the same thing as Amityville Horror. Right, but I'm saying that's all I think of. Okay, well, I'm just going to let you know the two not in any way related. So people weren't throwing steak up on the stage during the Amityville? I doubt it. But it's not completely out of the picture. It's not completely out of the okay, picture. There I might mean. have been Continue. somebody that was like, yo. Sacrifices. Sacrifices. Okay, so let me tell you about the family. There is the father and the 12-year-old son who are both named James. And the mother and 13-year-old daughter who are both named Lucille. Why? Right? <laughs> Fucking why? So I'm just going to call both the parents mom and dad, and I'll call the kids by their names. Because otherwise, it's just way too fucking confusing. Thing one and thing two. It's just like... In some of the stories, young James is Jimmy. Other times, he's James. And reading it was confusing. You're like, James who? Which James? So I'm just going to stick with mom and dad, James and Lucille. But Lucille almost never comes up. Sorry, Lucille, this story isn't yours. So, on February 3rd of 1958, only five years after the house was built, 
mom was getting dinner ready. She had stayed home that day. She was a nurse and she was waiting for the kids to get back from school. So when James and Lucille got home, they went into the kitchen, which, you know, that seems a pretty normal thing you do when you get home after school. You go in for a snack. Mom's making dinner. You're checking out what's going on. As they entered the kitchen, the whole house just kind of erupted in these popping sounds from rooms that were all throughout the house. It wasn't just in the kitchen. It was like every freaking room. So they went to go check on what was happening and bottles in multiple rooms had popped their caps, which made those strange strange popping noises. And they began to spew their contents and, quote, dance around. How many bottles do they have? Think about how many bottles we have just sitting on the counter right fucking there. In a kitchen. In a kitchen. Think about all the shampoo bottles, if you have alcohol, bleach, uh, detergents, all kinds of stuff, right? This was 1958. They still had that shit. They didn't have shampoo in 1958. They found a bottle of bleach in the basement. Yeah, those dirty bastards with no shampoo. Bottle of bleach in the basement. A bottle of liquid starch in the kitchen. Shampoo bottles in the bathroom. Oh, yeah, they did. No, I think that's probably a modern twist on it. And a bottle of holy water in the master bedroom, as well as nail polish remover and rubbing alcohol. All had popped their lids. And the bottle of holy water was completely knocked over. One of the things that's important to consider when thinking about these is that all of these had twist-off metal or plastic lids. They didn't have any kind of cork. They weren't the ones that you get off with um, a bottle opener. They all had, like, screw-top lids, which makes it more of kind of an odd thing. So, of course, Mom is... She freaked out, so she called Dad at work to ask him to come home early, but he figured there's likely a normal explanation for what's happening, so he just went on with his day. He stayed at work, and when he came home, he took a look at all the bottles and couldn't figure out what the explanation for what had happened might possibly be, but since nothing else happened that day, the whole family just kind of brushed it off. Dad suspected that ultimately there was either a chemical explanation for what had happened or that his son had been doing science experiments and didn't want to get in trouble. So he just told the whole family to kind of chill out. Don't tell anybody about it. Let's just keep this between us, right? Two days later, at almost the exact same time, the kids arrived home and it happened all over again. The same bottles popped all their tops all at the same time and spewed their contents, which, you know, I feel you, mom. That has to be a pain in the ass to clean up all that shit. You got bleach that's probably ruining shit, eating through stuff. You got shampoo that's a bitch to get out of things, detergents everywhere, nail polish remover, which eats through stuff and stinks like nothing else. That has to be a pain in the ass to constantly be cleaning this shit up. All through the house. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Mom. Sucks for you. Well, Jimmy, you're somewhat responsible for this cleaning up. Yeah. Then again on Friday, the same thing happened. So this is every other day. The first day was Monday. Two days later on Wednesday, it happens again. Two days later on Friday, it happens all over again. 
Now Dad started to really suspect that the son was doing something to tamper with the bottles and scare everyone. He thought that the kid was putting, like, some kind of, you know, those Alka-Seltzer tabs Mm -hmm. in there and timing it just right that it would pop when he got home, which I don't know how the fuck you would explain that. That shit doesn't last a whole school day. Right. There's no way to do that. But Dad suspects the son. Great dad. I would probably suspect our kids, too. I'm not going to lie. Right. <laughs> so he spent the weekend watching James really closely, hoping that he could catch him in the act. But Sunday morning rolls around, and it's really early in the morning, and more bottles popped again. And they were found rocking back and forth on shelves or falling on the floor and shattering. So Dad goes busting into the bathroom, and poor James is in there brushing his teeth, And dad starts flinging all these accusations at him. You know, like, what are you doing? It's got to be you. Of course, James is just there going, there's no way it was me. I'm innocent. Don't blame it on me. I have nothing to do with this. Poor kid. As dad is yelling at James, a medicine bottle goes sliding across the counter and falls into the sink in front of both of them. This was followed shortly by a bottle of shampoo that also slid across the counter and then fell to the floor. So they both saw it. Dad, though, is still convinced that James had something to do with it, so he's checking for hidden wires that might explain what had just happened. He couldn't find anything out of the ordinary. That's when he calls Nassau County Police Department. I don't really know... I mean, I get it. What What are you going to do in that situation? But how do you really think the police... What is the What are the police going to come out and do? Arrest the ghost. I'm sorry. I just saw my medicine bottle slide into my sink. All on its own accord. Are you sure you didn't the, take all of those? What the fuck are they going to do? They can't come in with their badge and be like, yo, ghost, go the fuck away. Well, unless they're the Ghostbusters. Or practical magic with the star-shaped badge. You don't get that reference. Somebody will. Good for them. You're missing out. That's a fucking phenomenal movie. I'm making you watch that. No, you're not. Oh, yes, I am. Oh, I'd like to see you try. Lieutenant E. Richardson was the desk clerk when the call comes in, and Dad was telling Lieutenant Richardson about what was happening. Of course, the officer understandably initially is convinced that dad's either drunk as fuck or playing some really dumbass prank. But dad just keeps insisting, insisting, explaining. And so the officer did end up sending someone out to investigate the house kind of reluctantly. Rather confusingly, the officer that arrived was also named James. This is officer James Hughes. Officer James Hughes pulled up feeling pretty skeptical about the whole thing. Skeptical? Skeptical? Skeptical. Skeptical. But that didn't really last for long. Within just a few minutes of entering the home, he witnessed bottles popping their tops in the bathroom and shooting their contents in his direction. So he saw this with his own eyes. So we have one police officer already, along with a whole house of people that are seeing this. Why would you just keep putting the tops on the bottles? If it were me, I'd just collect them all and just dump put it. them in the bathtub or something, you know? That's not a bad idea. Then go get them when you need them. Yeah. 
That's a pretty sensible solution to a poltergeist. But what if that poltergeist picked that shit up and was like, no, I want this to fuck up your floor. Well, that's another story, but we haven't heard of that thus far. Well, except for like the shampoo bottle sliding across. But oh, just wait. I don't I want would, to. I, w- I would have to agree that at this point in in the occurrences, that would be a sensible thing to do. Put them in a sink, put them in a bathtub so you don't have to deal with it. But no, they left everything where it was. They kept putting the lids back on. Uh-huh. So, Officer Hughes investigated, but he couldn't find any kind of reasonable explanation for what he had witnessed. And now, it definitely has the attention of the police. Detective Joseph Tazi, I think I'm saying that correctly, was assigned to the case, and he read the incident reports and was like, I'm really interested in taking on this case, but like everybody else, he assumed that there's some kind of natural phenomena that's occurring. Phenomena. Or that perhaps the Herman family was somehow orchestrating all of it, but he hadn't really figured out how. Magic. Detective Tazi decided to spend some Extended time at the house, and on the night of February 11th, a perfume bottle in Lucille's room, which at the time was unoccupied, popped its top and spilled the perfume. That had to fucking smell awful. Think about when you have to ride on a bus or be in the presence of somebody who's put on, like, four sprays instead of one, and how bad that is. Now, now multiply that by an entire fucking bottle of perfume. That had to smell so fucking bad. I don't know. I feel like it gets to a point where it's just, it's not really any worse. You don't have the super sniffer. You don't either. I I definitely have a Bullshit way more super sniffer than you. I'm on, I am in line with Gus from Psych with the super sniffer. I can tell you that there's time in that stuff. If you have to say that you have a snooper sniffer. A snooper sniffer? Exactly. Like, if you have to say, don't fuck with me, you don't know who I am, then you're somebody they can fuck with. You know that I can smell all kinds of shit. I know. I have a way more powerful nose than you. I'm not a more powerful memory. You have a horrible memory. Fuck off, man. You know it. You just said it. I have a lot of shit going on. I can can insult me. I got a lot of shit going on, too, and I I got way more shit. Whatever, bitch. Anyway. So, Tazi didn't just witness the problem with the bottles. What he, some of the other things that he saw happen were a bookshelf that tipped over, a phonograph player, phonograph player, it's like an old record player, that moved all by itself, and then he was almost hit by a flying globe. So, just some crazy shit going on. Sounds like a normal day. In our house, definitely. With these two kiddos, we might have a poltergeist. For some reason, the holy water in the mom and dad's room really had a problem. Because it just popped over and over and over again. And on February 15th, it happened yet again. This time, dad ran in to see what had happened. And he found the bottle on the floor and it was warm to the touch. So it was almost like... All the molecules and they were getting super excited. Something really big was going on. Yeah. Yeah. Getting super excited. It's getting jiggy with it. There's like a molecule dance party going on inside the holy water bottle. 
Do you think that was, that's what molecules call it? A molecule dance party? Being energized? I fucking hope so, man. I totally imagine them, like, moshing out inside of the- yeah. yeah, it would definitely be a mosh pit, because they're knocking against each other. For sure. For sure. Holy water mosh pits. That should be a thing. That could be a fucking Christian hardcore band. Like, hardcore Christian festival. Holy water mosh pits, yes. Right. But they apologize and say, peace be with you after every time they hit each other. <laughs> and then shake hands. <laughs> it's perfect. I like this idea. We need to tell somebody about it. Yeah. See, but you wouldn't know the peace be with you part because you never went to church as a child. Fuck off. Patent pending, by the way. That's ours. Nobody else can steal it. What? The holy water mosh pit. Oh. Fuck off. It's ours. We got to make merch like that. Just a bunch of water <laughs> droplets just knocking into each other with halos over. Yes, we do need to get on our merch. It's true. Yeah. And yeah. Jesus in the background just ripping on a guitar. <laughs> I'm fucking writing this down after this. This is good. A guitar in the shape of a cross. A too. guitar, yep. That's perfect. That same day as the the water bottle getting all warm... The kids, they're chilling in the living room watching some TV with their cousin, Marie Murtha, who was middle-aged at the time because of, you know, families in those days. They're like, I have 16 kids, so there's this ridiculous age spread. So their cousin's they way older. So it's, a, it's, a, it's a scientific fact that the later in life you have children, the longer you are expected to live. I call bullshit. Go ahead, call it all you want. It's a scientific fact. Uh, I call bullshit on that. Kids Google are fucking stressful. Please, as go well. ahead. So all three of these people witnessed a porcelain figure or doll that was kind of described a little differently. Some were like ceramic, some said porcelain. I don't know. It had been sitting on an end table. I'm twenty two years old twenty two years old and I don't even know the difference between ceramic and porcelain. Porcelain is like it's all just fucking clay. No, there's almost like glass and porcelain, I think. It's a, it's a certain way of firing things. It came from uh, China. It's a special way of doing things. I know a little bit about the history of porcelain, not that much. That's anyway. Chemistry. So they all witnessed chemistry. this. Yeah, it was a book called The Disappearing Spoon talked about the history of porcelain. It was a book porcelain. all about porcelain? No, about chemistry and the periodic table of elements and shit. And it talked about the history of porcelain because there was, I can't remember exactly why, but there was some important thing about chemistry in the history of porcelain. Because I'm a nerd. People have way too much time. It was a good fucking book, man. I like chemistry. It was a good read, my friend. It was. It was very interesting. Five stars. Anyway. They all- Shut up. They all witnessed this thing begin to wiggle and levitate. You think you're so fucking funny. And then it shoots through the air like two feet. No, it wasn't two feet. Was it? I don't know. 24 inches. It shot through the air. It was several feet. And then it smashed to the floor, but it didn't break. Ooh. What was this? The doll figurine thing. The clay doll. (sighs) You just want me to say it again, and that's why I didn't say it. This is about the time when the family decided to call in some extra help. 
since they were devout Catholics, they called the Church of St. William the Abbot and requested that Father William William McLeod, McLeod? I don't know. Sorry. Sorry, Billy, I can't say it. No, I'm not spelling all this shit. It's McLeod or McLeod. I don't know. McLeod. Anyway, they requested that he come to their house. So he comes out. And he does his whole blessing, blessing, and sprinkles the holy water throughout the house and, you know, flings it in people's faces over and shit. Over a house that already has holy water spilled all over its fucking Right? Floor. Fucking right. But big surprise, I'm this didn't sage, help. sage, at least. Yeah, maybe. So he did his blessing, but it didn't help. No big fucking surprise there, right? Detective Tazi wanted to kind of chase down and rule out every kind of possible natural and normally acceptable explanation. So he contacted someone at Brookhaven Labs. And I'll give you, let me give you a little breakdown of the ridiculous number of theories that were covered between religious intervention, scientific inquiry, and like the general public once they caught wind of it, like all this shit that came up. Because the general public at this point already knew of what was going on. We're only like two weeks in at this point. So the pop possible the pop-a-pole, the possible explanations included downdrafts, faulty pipes, earthquakes that apparently nobody else felt, sonic booms, again, nobody else felt, man- magnetic fields, again, nobody else felt. Structural issues with the home, underground waterways, radio waves, Russians tunneling under Long Island, Martians landing nearby, restless Native American spirits, and of course, just general sinfulness. So all of this was ruled out. They really, they tried to go through all kinds of scientific explanations. They looked at like the chimney, they put put stuff up to kind of change the airflow coming in from the chimney. That didn't work. They did all kinds of stuff. They had firefighters out there to look at the house. They had contractors to look at the structural integrity of the home. Nobody could find anything wrong with the house. So, as I said, news of what was happening had broken, and it was picked up not only by the local media, but also by Life and Time magazines. Two weeks in, and it blew up that bad. Now all of the kooks came out of the woodwork. They showed up at the family's house, and they followed the dad to and from work. They called the house at all hours of the day and night. Many of them were yelling at the family to repent and claiming that the family had invited evil into their home. This poor fucking family. Like, no shit. But apparently the family handled it pretty well. All reports were that they were very polite and that they handled it with grace, even with the biggest nutter butters on their lawn. Like, people sitting, camping out on their lawn in 1950. Yep, nope, they were totally polite and patient and kind. Which is saying something. I, I agree. I would be whooping some ass. I'd be like, get the fuck off right. my grass. I am definitely a, this is my property. You better get the fuck off kind of person. <laughs> right. Like, if you want to do some shit, do it out in the road. Yep. Don't sit on my fucking lawn. Mm-mm, don't even block my damn sidewalk. Right. Get off. Go away. 
at one point, a photographer came out to, to document what was going on. And he watched as his own flashbulbs were hurled across the room and smashed right in front of his own eyes. So one night, the family decides that they kind of need a break from everything that's going on. Probably they need a break from the people that are camping on their lawn. They need a break from what's going on in the house. So they left to spend the night with a relative. And Tazi stayed behind to keep an eye on the house. And nothing happened while the family was gone. Why would you stay alone in the house? That's He's a detective. He's, he doesn't he didn't even think it was anything paranormal. Are his balls the size of my fucking head? Big balls, baby. Massive Jesus. balls. So if everything that's happened up to this point wasn't wild enough, things soon began to escalate after the family returned. One day Tazi and James we're walking down to the basement, so they're walking down the stairs, and this 100-pound bronze statue of a horse flew across the basement and hit Tazi in the legs. And my, the question I got out of this was, who the fuck has a 100-pound bronze statue of a horse chilling in their basement? You know, my question is, what? how close to his big-ass balls did that bronze statue get? Probably pretty fucking I mean, close. If, if they're the big, size they're of your head, yeah, pretty yep, low. yep. I imagine he did a little dance to protect those bitches. Honestly. Gotta pass that down. You can't just keep that for yourself. Yeah, definitely. No idea what you're talking about. Big balls? Yeah, okay. You good? Yeah, my brain had moved on to what I was doing next. As it does. It does. No longer content to just pop a few bottles and levitate some small objects... Large objects started getting thrown around and flying, like, over a dozen feet. Some of them were 12, 15 feet. They're flying across the room, down the hallways. Furniture and decorations were getting smashed. Things appeared to be thrown at people's heads, and there began to begin knocking in the walls. So, things definitely went from, hey, this is unusual and uncomfortable, to, holy fuck, what is going on? This was after they got home? This is when they came back from staying at their relatives. Right around the time that everything escalated, a group of parapsychologists from Duke University picked up on the story, and they suspected that it was a case of psychokinesis, which you're probably familiar with it, but if anybody isn't, psychokinesis is the ability to move things with your mind. So it's the, it's the idea that your brain is strong enough to basically move things just by focusing on it. One member of the group, Pratt, believed that it might in fact be a poltergeist, which are these, like we talked about them in the before, they're these dickhead, noisy-ass spirits that typically they're attached to teenage girls. They don't like religious stuff. They really just kind of enjoy upsetting things and pissing people off. That's what poltergeists do. Which makes sense if they're hanging out with angsty teenage girls. That's what angsty teenage girls like to do. Just piss or people off, right? eight and five-year-old boys. Yeah, we're definitely going to get a poltergeist for sure. This is around the time that Activity in the House gained the nickname of Popper the Poltergeist because that researcher thought that potentially this is a poltergeist. So the newspapers came up with the idea, Popper the Poltergeist. 
Sounds delightful. <laughs> so, poltergeist and teenage girls are typically the thing, right? Do you agree? Typically, you don't know. You're not that much into poltergeist. I know this stuff. It's typically teenage girls. For once, I'm going to take your word. But the weird thing about this case, though, was that the majority of incidences that occurred, James the son was the only one around to witness it. There were quite a few where there were police officers and other people that came in, but it was a good chunk of them. Only James was there to witness it. Or it happened in James' room, James's room when he wasn't there and other people witnessed it, but it was happening in James's space. So there's kind of, was it actually attached to him, not to Lucille? So everyone had already cleared James of being actively involved in what was happening. So he definitely wasn't manipulating things purposefully. Uh-huh. That doesn't mean that you know, 12-year-old James wasn't pissed off at the confusion in his house when everybody's named the same fucking thing, like George Foreman's place. The group of scientists was at the home. They stayed there for a few days, and for the first couple days, things were pretty uneventful. And nothing happened until March 2nd, when dishes started shooting out of the cabinets and tables were flipped over in unoccupied rooms, bookshelves were knocked over, and then a bowl of flowers, because everybody has a bowl of flowers. A bowl of flowers did a lovely little jig. It did a dance. Do you think it was like a tap dance? It might have been. Or was it like a do-si-do? I imagine that it was a tap dance. Was it a little bit of a hip-hop? Hip-hop wasn't a thing just yet. So? Does that mean the flowers didn't know what was up? I think they didn't. Not just yet. It's very closed-minded and bigoted. You mean they were doing the bus driver? No. Driving, they definitely driving, doing that. passenger on. Nobody driving, should driving, have ever done that. What about, what about the sprinkler? Don't. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. The sprinkler, it's just fun. It's but you sh- It shouldn't ever be done in public, okay? It's fun to do, and it's fun to see in a movie, but you should never, ever, stop. This is, no. (laughs) Okay, it's 1958. Maybe they were doing the twist. So the flowers danced. And then the final show that Popper the Poltergeist ever put on happened on March 10th. So this is a month after everything began, short, like a little over a month. And at this time, the kids are getting ready for bed. Mom's chilling in the living room. She's probably sipping on a martini, smoking a cigarette because it's 1958, and that's what moms did. Dad's out of town on business. Everyone in the house, including the investigators, heard this loud pop come from the basement. And the investigators went down to find a bottle of bleach that's chilling in a cardboard box had blown its cap. And that was it. That was the last of Popper. So, altogether, there were 67 occurrences in the house, and there were multiple credible witnesses, including police officers, detectives, and scientists, that all witnessed this stuff happen. Which is pretty crazy, if you think about it. Do you think they just lived over a geothermal hotspot? I think 
that scientists looked at a wide variety of possibilities for what could be causing this. They were taking ambient temperature measurements? I'm sure they did. I don't know, 1950, whatever. Well, you, have... you would think that Einstein and Bohr were pretty thorough, right? No. No, you don't think so? Uh-uh. It's not like they invented the nuclear bomb and didn't even test it before they dropped it. They did, by the way. They were so sure of themselves that they didn't even test it. Okay. Did you know that? Yes. No, you didn't. You're looking at me like, what the fuck is he talking about? It's called about? the fucking Manhattan Project. Okay, but you didn't know that fact. Oh my god. <sighs> Just because I'm smarter than you doesn't mean you have to be salty. I know that the daughter Lucille never saw the movie Poltergeist, which was based on these occurrences. She said that she'd lived it and didn't need to watch it. I don't know if her brother James ever saw it. I imagine their parents didn't because they were probably pretty elderly. And by the time, what was it, 1983, I think, when it came out? I don't remember. That was two weeks ago. I honestly couldn't have told you what I was wearing today unless it was down. two weeks ago. Is that what you did? No, the story that I covered. The movie The Poltergeist, the cursed story. Google it? It's, I'm pretty sure it's 1983. It was the year before I was born. I'm pretty positive. Anyway, I don't think any of them ever saw it. So that's that's the story of Popper the Poltergeist and the haunted Herman family. They were only haunted for a month. Just one month. 1958. My grandmother's maiden name is Herman. June 4th of 82. 82. Okay. I was close. Which is sad considering I covered the damn story, but yeah. Like I said, if I wasn't looking down at what I was wearing, I wouldn't remember what I was wearing. <laughs> what socks are you wearing? None. You knew that? Because I can fucking feel it. Anyway, I think this week we're going to not do a listener story because we've run so long already. You just so have to keep interrupting everything. We'll save that for next week, though we do have a listener story. I just don't want to make this episode too freaking long. So don't forget to check out our spotlight. That is the Native American Rights Fund, N-A-R-F dot org. Narf. Nerf. Narf dot org. If that's how you remember it, let it be. Don't forget to rate and review us. That really helps out a lot. Subscribe, uh, follow, all that good shit. If you want to mail me a check, that's cool too. I think we have 25... Uh, ratings and reviews now on iTunes, which is awesome. Word. Yep. And another big one is to tell your friends about it. We're hoping that we can start working on some merch here pretty shortly so you can get out there and rep what is obviously your favorite podcast. That's Are us. you asking me? No. I'm saying that's no, us. Say. Jesus. <laughs> Joel doesn't listen to podcasts. I know you don't. You can email us your favorite stories at drink drunk dead podcast. Hey, we're supposed to spit that. At gmail.com. You can email us with all your paranormal inquiries at drink drunk dead podcast dot no <laughs> at dot <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> 
<laughs> no. You're drunk. Go the fuck home. Huh? <laughs> You're drunk. I'm home. not drunk. I'm having fun. <laughs> so you can email us your stories. You can email us episodes that you might be interested in hearing, topics that you'd like us to cover. If you just want to hit us up and, as I say, chit-chat. Find me on Twitter. You can as find us you on- say chit chat like you're the only one who's ever said chit you fucking chat. make fun of me for saying chit chat whatever let me finish when this goddamn ever thing already chit- whenever i when like I two made- three episodes ago you made fun of me for it for one of, one of you for shut up there's something to make fun of you about fuck off can i finish you can Probably find not. us on facebook instagram and twitter at drink drunk dead like i said you can email us a shit and talk about stuff. Don't actually email us pictures of your shit. No, actually do it, because Emily's the only one who checks it, <laughs> so please. Man. Thank you. Thank you. Honestly, I'll give everybody $5 who emails her a picture of her poop. Thank you so much for Not listening. Not her poop, their poop. We your appreciate poop. you guys. Even if we don't necessarily appreciate each other sometimes. Thank you for listening. I don't know what you're talking about. Shall we raise a toast? Get your fucking glass and raise a goddamn toast to our fucking ghosts. What if I don't want to? Shall we raise a toast to our ghosts? Wait, you gotta start that over. Shall Shall we we raise raise a toast toast to to our our ghosts? ghosts?